Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. I'm Emily. And I'm Maria. And this is the Open Plan Podcast. We're excited to have you here. Join us in navigating life and architecture as young professionals tackling career, education, social lives, and everything in between. Keep up with us on Instagram at Open Plan Podcast. So now let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Open Plan Podcast. Hey everyone, we're so glad you're back. <laughs> so happy to have you here. Um, it's a sunny winter day. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's hot in here, but it's freezing outside. It's no, Atlanta's not outside. freezing. It's well, like sixty. <laughs> I haven't left the house in a couple hours. I mean, I guess 60 is relatively freezing compared to. <laughs> it was like 40 summer. this morning, okay? It's a lot of ups and downs. Once um, again, we're anxiously waiting for sweater weather. We are. I'm actually wearing a turtleneck right now, but. Oh, nice. I think I had this issue earlier. I'm going to get hot. Yeah, I always get hot when we record. Forcing it. Forcing the, the fall vibes. Um. um but yeah, it's a Saturday, and we're excited to share our interview with you, which we'll get into later. But as always, we'll do our catch-up segment and then highlights and recommendations. So Maria, do you have any recommendations? Um, yeah, actually. And we were talking earlier, and we were planning on doing the same recommendation, which we really shouldn't tell each other what they are before we record. Normally, we don't, actually. We really we don't, but I had a feeling it was going to be the same. But um, it's the Netflix show called Made, and mm-hmm. a lot of people have been talking about it, so you might have heard about it. But I told Emily about it a couple of days ago, and she got into it, and it's it's so good. It's basically, yeah. like, I don't want to ruin it, but it's, you know, this single mom who's young and, and totally relatable in a way, and she just, you know, leaves her abusive, emotionally abusive, physically abusive husband, or are they even married? I don't know. I think they are. But I think they were just boy. I think he was just her boyfriend. Yeah, but they have a kid together, and it's just yeah crazy the amount of struggle that she goes through and learning more about that side of things and the systems that are supposed to help people is really disheartening. Mm-hmm. Made yeah. me want to start like a foundation or something. <laughs> oh my god, it's a very heavy show. Like yeah, uh, you just feel really bad for her and. But also so well done. And Maria was saying how the soundtrack's really good. And I totally agree. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, I should just listen to the soundtrack like while I'm working or just walking and driving every day. Yeah. (laughs) And there's like a little side bonus. It's it's actually kind of funny at some parts, which is interesting. And there are some cool houses because she's a maid and she goes clean fancy houses. And so it's Mm -hmm. a little... The production Plus. quality of it reminds me of like Queen's Gambit kind of how it, yeah. feels like a, it feels like a movie and it's like beyond a show. Yeah, but it's really good. Very yeah. good acting. Very good story. It's good. So yeah. What about you? I know you were going to say the same thing. So <laughs> I know. Imagine if we did it live and I was like, oh my gosh, I had to think of something now. <laughs> um, so I have a show recommendation um, and it's Succession, mm. which I think it's on Apple TV or no HBO. HBO. Yeah. HBO, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it's basically about a family, like I guess business slash company, and like kind of like they have interesting relationships, like kind of taking each other down. Who's going to take over the company? Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of drama. And we haven't gotten too far into it. We're still in the first season, but we're definitely hooked. It's very good dialogue, and um, I've heard it just gets like crazier and crazier. I don't know, yeah. but that's a good I've show. A lot of- good things about it people were you know anxiously waiting the new season or something yes so i totally recommend that um and then another recommendation i have airy related (laughs) back for another airy recommendation um is this app uh called quizlet and you could access it on your phone on your laptop and basically it's like digital flashcards Mm -hmm. so I like flashcards a lot. I think I learn really well with flashcards, but I get really lazy with like physically writing them. So this is like you type it, you have it on your phone and you have it like on the go. Like if you want to just like lay in bed and like do it or like Mm -hmm. you're not carrying like a thick pile of note cards around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's like the lazy practical, like instead of going on Instagram, you can just flip through a couple when you're waiting for something. Yeah. Yeah. 
I really like it because they also like crowdsource or they have like all everyone else's sets on there. So you could literally just search like airy programming analysis and like, you'll see like a bunch of people's flashcards. So you could even be like, oh, oh nice. I'm going to go on theirs. And they have quizzes. Like, so they make it like yeah. interactive. Um, I think I've used it for college, but I don't remember. Yeah, it's really good um, yeah. and convenient. Okay. So recommend if you're you're studying. Yep. So that's all the recommendations I have. <laughs> so now we're going to get into our interview. Um, today, we're going to have a conversation with Tracy Carusi. She was the president and CEO of Collins Cooper Carusi Architects an industry leader in community-focused architecture. She believes that inspired design makes a significant difference in people's lives. Over her 30 years of practice, she's led teams in various award-winning university, K-12, religious, cultural, and recreational projects. Some notable projects include the Emory Candler School of Theology and Center for Ethics, Emory's Convocation Hall, Global Ministries Lead Platinum Headquarters, and North Atlanta High School. She attended the University of Tennessee, graduating magna cum laude in 1983, and has served on various educational, nonprofit, and editorial boards. Most recently, she's also the president of AIA Atlanta. So we're really excited to talk to Tracy. She um, was the CEO of the company that I worked for, and that was a huge factor when I was thinking about companies, and it meant a lot that there was a woman in leadership, especially um, you know, with her name on the door. So we're really excited to talk to her and pick her brain about being a leader and being this long in the industry. Um, and yeah, can't wait to get into it. Yeah, can't wait to learn more about um, her past and how she got where she is. So without further ado, here's the interview. All right, so we're about to get into our interview. Um, we have Tracy Carusi here in our virtual studio. Um, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. <laughs> um, so to get us started, um, this is something we kind of asked everyone is kind of how did you become interested in architecture and, and how did that interest spark in you when you're, you know, growing up and picking your career, um, like what to study. And well, things like interestingly, that. Um, I was always interested in interior design, even as uh, like a freshman in high school, I redid my bedroom and my mom's living room. And I was just interested in art. I did paintings and drawings, and um, but I became interested in interior design. And when I went to the University of Tennessee at that time, the College of, or the Interior Design Program was in the College of Home Economics. This is how long ago it was. Um, and so I went for a few weeks, and I just didn't like the vibe in the College of Home <laughs> Economics. Um, so it was suggested that I try architecture, and sure enough, I switched over to the School of Architecture, and it seemed to be the right fit. And I was a little behind compared to everybody else because I thought I was going to be in interior design, but it turned out to be the right decision for me. And um, I haven't looked back. Awesome. And you had mentioned you went to University of Tennessee. Yes. How was your experience there? I guess you kind of dove into like uh, how you started interior design, then you were in architecture. Um, was this when we actually just did an interview with Ellen um, Denham Jones from Georgia Tech, and she was mm -hmm. talking about how when she was in school, there were just not as many women in architecture at that time. And I guess compared to now, I think now it's more of a 50-50 split. So, you know, we'd love to learn more about what your experience was like. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, overall, it was a good experience. Um, I think out of 40 or 45 graduates in my class, three were women. So there really weren't that many women. Wow. And I feel like I had a good experience with my professors and with my classmates, but um, there were a couple things that I remember really surprised me and, and frustrated me. And one was I got the comment that I didn't smile enough. I was too serious and it's not. No. I remember at the time thinking, well, no one's saying that to any of the men. You know, why is it the women are yeah, the worst. to be pleasant and smiling all the time? Um, so that just kind of stuck with me and it was my introduction, I guess, to the concept, which I ha 
hadn't experienced in high school or even in my home. My mother was a really strong, independent woman that, you know, sometimes women are treated differently than men out there. But overall, I would say the experience was was good. Wow. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I had the same experience with that. Like, I didn't really think about it until I started, I guess, conquering things and, and you know, when you're in school, everyone's trying to like be very competitive and, and you feel like you're behind. And I was definitely behind when I moved here, but I didn't really think about how they treat women differently until I felt it. Yeah. <laughs> but What did you feel? Yeah. Can I ask you what you felt? Um, I don't, I think I just felt like I was being put in an inferior box. Like, um, like either people didn't expect me to do as well or they they were like oh you're you're not going to ever get to that level or you're doing good for who you are and and what yeah. your skills seem to be yeah wow and and like i didn't feel like i was welcome or people didn't welcome me into greater challenges if that makes yeah, sense wow. yeah um, and that was kind of my undergrad. Yeah. Yeah. This was just a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a combination of like the professors and the students too. And, you know, group projects and opportunities come up and you're not called on and you're not, you know, people don't think of you at first. So that was my undergrad was me fighting to change that. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't think the stigma <laughs> is there maybe as much, but I definitely still feel like there's definitely an advantage to being kind of the classic image of what an architect is and kind of like filling that role of like textbook, you know, man wearing all black, we're holding the moleskin or like, I don't know. And I just feel like <laughs> there's like a certain sense of like confidence they give off and stuff. And I think women are still like, you know, even our studios, we saw it. I think we're all still working on it, but um, I think it's hopefully getting better. But yeah. yeah. I'm not sure at the time I even knew what to look for. I mean, that one example you gave that I gave about um, being asked to smile, that was clearly something directed more towards women. But there were probably things that I missed because I just didn't know what to look for. It was a different time. I started mm -hmm. college in 1978 and finished in 1983. Um, and I was probably acclimated to certain slights that I didn't even know were happening mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I guess after school, how, what was your first architecture position, like in the working world? How did you kick off, um, your career? Well, I remember it was really nerve wracking. I had, I, I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's where my family was and decided I wanted to live in Atlanta and set up probably seven or eight interviews in Atlanta, bought a new car, drove down here. And it was a stick shift car and I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. And I was driving to these interviews, driving a stick and just arriving to the interviews, like drenched in sweat. Just so sweaty. Oh no. Yeah. All sweaty from um, driving the stick. So it was, it was a very anxious time. Um, but I had a good time during the interviews and some of them were really good, but some of them, you know, speaking of treating women differently, I'm um, really disappointing. I remember one of them, I'd had a great interview, felt like that I had a rapport with the guy that I was interviewing with. And at the inter interview, he acknowledged that they were interested in me, that we'd had a good interview. But then he made a statement. And the statement was, but I need to go check with the guys in the drafting room about how they feel about working with a woman. Yeah, that overworked. Outright so said that? that? <laughs> yeah, outright said that, that. And obviously that has stuck with me because it was another example of just blatant discrimination. And I didn't know how to respond to something like that. I think I just left and said to myself, well, this isn't going to be one of my uh, favored options. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there a couple other like interview um, uh, incidents that happened where I remember one firm said that they weren't going to interview me because they had just hired a lot of women and they didn't need any more women. What? Yeah. I mean, this is crazy stuff when you hear it. You know, it's really I mean, that's one step up from not hiring any, yeah, but, but I, still. it's just crazy that like how transparent they were with you. They're like, you know, yeah. sorry, but you know, it's just not even apologetic about it. Not even going to hide it. 
it seems like just yesterday, but obviously so much has changed since then. I ended up at a great firm, a small firm that is no longer around, but because it was a small firm, I was able to um, assume a great deal of responsibility because there weren't that many people there. So you kind of had to do um, what needed to be done. So I learned a lot of responsibility. I learned how to behave with more confidence because of that. And then after a couple of years, I moved to a, a, a really big firm and felt like that I started out on a really good note at the big firm because I'd had that breadth of experience and had um, had that confidence that, that I could do whatever they asked me to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I did have a really good experience at both the small firm and the, the big firm. If, if I felt any... Uh, discrimination. It, what people always think of the construction sites is, you know, the wolf whistles and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I never experienced any of that. I mean, once once the contractors found out that I knew what I was doing, and I and mainly I was going to be fair with them, that I wasn't going to come in and stomp my foot and say you didn't do this right. Um, they respected that, and that's all that they really cared about. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas occasionally, from inside the firm, I would hear a comment or. Um, you know, just feel, feel a little something. But um, in the contracting world, that all they cared about was that you got the job done. And that was really a good mm-hmm. feeling. That was, that was excellent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, <clears throat> I mean, if you can do the job and that's like the best revenge almost, you know, it's kind of like, I'm just yeah. going to prove to them yeah. I can do it. You're right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so well, I guess, your degree is a was a professional degree, right? Yes. So you didn't. So when did you start your licensing path? I started licensing right after the path right after I got out of school, and kind of took the took the minimum three year IDP path that at the time was very common. So I took my exam. I want to say three or four years after I got out of school. And mm-hmm. at that time you took all the parts together and you took the exam in person. And it was really um, quite an event um, at the time to take all that, those parts of the exam. And I was really proud of myself because I passed them all on the first try, but it was more, yeah, I was proud of myself, but it was more just a feeling yeah. of relief. Oh yeah. You know, that, that that was over with. And what I'm seeing now in the industry is for a long time, folks were really anxious about getting registered and they would wait and wait because of being intimidated, I guess. But now I think more folks are starting to prepare um, right when they get out of school and are excited about getting it over with. So I think that that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that definitely like breaking it up into the six exams helps with that because then you you feel like it's more manageable to get started with the smaller ones, the more the easier ones technically. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We're we're both kind of <laughs> going through that right now. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, a yeah. like I feel like there's pros and cons. Like when I hear that it used to all be in one day, I'm like that sounds horrible, but also nice that it's almost like ripping a bandaid off and. I, it kind of you have no other choice but to take them all like at one time while you're sitting there and just like in the zone and um right now I've done three so I have three more and I just feel like it is very intimidating to like actually like schedule it and then you have to do it again for the other two and I'm almost like I wish they were all just grouped together and I just <laughs> got, went there and took them all but um but how long what of a day of exam taking was that, I guess, if you had them all? This- one day, there's two days, actually. Okay. And one day was eight hours. Wow. And the other day was 12 hours. So it was like a marathon as well. It was like they were testing. <gasps> well? they, they were really testing your mettle. Um, yeah. At, wow. At, at that time. I want to say the design exam was on the 12-hour day. And I can't remember if there were other exams that day or not, but I I'm kind of feeling like all the exams that that weren't the design exam were in the eight-hour day, and then the design exam in the twelve-hour day. That's cut. It was nerve-wracking. Like it is now. It's nerve-wracking now. I know it is. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's nice if you get it done and you pass. But it's probably so bad if you spend that that many hours and then you 
you don't pass. Yeah, yeah. How we knew whether we passed or not is they used snail mail to notify us. And if you had a thin envelope, that meant that you passed. If you had a thicker envelope, that meant that you didn't pass all the exams. And so even before you open the envelope, you have some idea of whether you passed or not. Wow. Was it like you had to pass all all of them and then you were good? Or if you passed some parts of them, you would just have to retake those parts or like? That's right. Okay. That's right. If you... Um, didn't pass all of them. You just had to retake the ones that you didn't pass. Gotcha. But you had to wait another six months or a year because that's when the design, when the exams were administered. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was, you wanted to pass. Yeah. You definitely wanted to pass. Interesting. Okay. This is making me feel a little bit better about the system now. <laughs> yeah. You do find out immediately, um, which is nice, yeah. but also really scary. And yeah, heart beating while you hit oh, that. I think that's great that you find out immediately. Yeah. But yeah, I can I can feel my heart now thumping when you describe that. Yeah. You're like this is hitting too close to <laughs> anyone. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Um okay, well we can move on. So um I guess so you start you worked at a few firms after school and you eventually joined Conscoop Cruise. So I don't know the story. So can you tell us how you join the firm and you know at what point did they change the name and include your name and and how did that whole transition um happen sure um so i joined the firm in 1990 and at the time the firm was called Broyles roberts and collins and collins was mike collins was the the partner that remained um throughout the years and so i was a project architect when i joined the firm and you know just worked Hard and eventually, both Broyles and Roberts left the firm to consider other options in their career. And Mike Collins, who I had gone to college with, um, asked me to be a partner. And it was really exciting. And at the same time, we were merging firms with Cooper Architects, who was Sandy Cooper, the Cooper and Collins Cooper Mm -hmm. Perusi. So Sandy and I ended up at the firm at about the same time. And um, I was probably a little naive about what firm ownership meant, but I think um, in some ways that's a good thing because you, you, you come at it, you know, more open and more optimistic. Um, but I was very excited about it and I haven't, re- I've never regretted it. I mean, I worked really hard all these years, but, you know, I had some, control over my destiny, over the types of projects that we chose, and certainly a leadership position within the firm itself. And um, it's really been a great experience. Um, But I remember when I was first made um, a partner, um, I was a little nervous about what expectations were going to be of me at that time, especially as it comes, as it it goes to business development, um, because that's the probably the number one fear of a lot of architects, especially introverts like myself. I'm a classic introvert. And I thought, well, what does that mean in terms of me going out on cold calling people and yeah. that arena? Wow. Um, but after a while, um, you know, the more you practice something, even if it may not be in your natural wheelhouse, you know, eventually you just kind of get the hang of it. So um, after a while, I just considered it a challenge to do that but that was the one thing that probably had me nervous about becoming a partner ah wow that's that's really interesting to learn you know like even as introvert what strategies you use even I feel like it's such a uh, people facing role being a principal and I think our listeners really appreciate hearing that you know like even if you are an introvert you can take on leadership roles like this and then conquer like you know fears you have about you know public speaking things like that so yeah I'd love to like learn more about how do you like recharge, I guess, after like being in such a, I guess, like people focused role as a principal and stuff? And like, what are your strategies, I guess, as an introvert? Yeah, I do need, I enjoy um, communicating with people. I enjoy relationships. Mm-hmm. I enjoy having discussions, but it does take a lot of energy um, from an introvert. And generally, I would just have to go home and kind of collapse. <laughs> and spend some time by myself yeah. 
either reading or maybe just watching TV, something like that, to um, to start to gain some of my energy back. And, you know, some people can come straight home from work or straight home from an interview and just if they're tired, they go to sleep. But I find that it takes me much longer to bring my energy level down um, mm-hmm. to a point where I can relax and um, go to bed. So sometimes it meant some late nights because I had worked late and I would have to come home and really de-stress. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I went to bed. But, you know, I would say also, uh, and this is in more recent years, I read a book that really changed my life um, by Susan Cain called um, the, Pow- the Power of the Introvert in a World That Just Can't Stop Talking. I may not be getting that exactly right. I think I've heard of that title. Oh, it's I would recommend that to any introverts to really want to, if you really want to find out about the psychology of, of, of being an introvert and how to own your power mm-hmm. as an introvert and to be cognizant of what you're really good at as an introvert and continue to develop that. Like, uh, And these are generalizations, but introverts generally have better listening skills. Mm-hmm. And that comes in, that's a really valuable trait, it comes in very handy when you're speaking with a client and they're telling you what they're looking for or what they're trying to achieve Definitely. in the project. So, and in the United States, and this is covered in the book, um, there's kind of a an image of leaders being the extrovert and always being shaking hands and having plenty of conversation and plenty of um, things to talk about. That's not necessarily true all over the world. There are other models of leadership that are quieter models of leadership um, that are just mm-hmm. as effective. They're ju- you just go about them in a different way. Yeah, that's so true. Um, yeah, I want to read that book. I'm kind of in between. Oh, depends quiet. on the day. <laughs> quiet is the name of the book. Quiet. Oh, yes. The power oh, of the yeah. in a world that just can't stop talking. So it's so yeah. quiet is the actual name of the book. It's, it is a great book. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I'm going to put it on our, in our show notes and also. We can put the link. Yeah. yeah in the description. So I'm doing this like it's YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you guys can see us, right? <laughs> um, wow. That's really interesting. So I, so you became a partner, but the other two had already owned their firm. So I, it, you were the only new, like that's, that's never right. had owned a firm. That's right. Wow. That's right. And um, I can remember the three of us meeting to talk about, you know, right as we were coming together to talk about how we would form a successful partnership. And um, one of the other guys said, well, if it works, it works. And I'm like, no, we have to make it work. <laughs> I mean, we have to. Um, be cognizant of our behavior towards one another and communicate as much as we can because it's it, it's not just up to the whims of the day, whether it works or not. It's really about our attitude and how we make it work. And it's hard work. It's, you know, partnership is kind of like a marriage. You can't just, you have to nurture it. You can't just let it sit there. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, um Kind of leading into our next question. So CCCA is very mission driven um, with, you know, a lot of projects that better the community and and a lot of clients that align with the mission of the firm. Was that something that was, you know, decided upon this new kind of renaming of the firm when you joined or and and kind of when did that start and how did you maintain it for, for so many years? It's almost been over 34 years in business. So how did you maintain that mission throughout um, all those years in different economy fields and things like that? Um, I think that the three original, well, I say the original partners, but um, Collins, Cooper, and Carusi were always interested in doing work that improved the community in some way. But there wasn't um, an overt push to do that until about 1997 when uh, when the three of us actually came together and went on a retreat up in the mountains and we literally climbed to the top of this mountain and it wasn't anything like Mount Everest or anything <laughs> like that, just North Georgia, but just kind of to get away from all the distractions of the firm and 
into some peace and quiet. We, we, we took a hike up to the top of this mountain, and that's where we came up with the firm mission statement that, you know, has to do about improving people's, doing timeless architecture that improves people's lives. And as time went on, we found that others joined us because they wanted to do architecture that was meaningful in the sense of, you know, just beyond great architecture, but architecture that served the community in some way and improved the community, um, depending on the mission of the client. And Mm-hmm. It's been even more true these recent years is more and more folks coming out of school and you all can speak to this or know this already that um, a lot of young people are looking for jobs that are really meaningful. They want to do meaningful work beyond creating beautiful buildings. So it's been a, a good recruitment tool for us. And in terms of staying the course over all these years, what we found were, what we found was that um, there are lots of projects that do that, that, for example, um, educational projects, and there's a lot of those, and we specialize in that, educational projects are just intrinsically um, the type of projects that better their communities because they're educating people. But Mm -hmm. we're talking about not just education, but spiritual, um, recreation, wellness, um, community activities. So there's really kind of a wide swath of projects that can fit that definition. I mean, even uh, corporate office, if you're working for the right client where they really want to provide a helpful and um, nice place to, to work. So we didn't really have to struggle that hard to find those kind of, a, of projects when we made sure that we cast the net wide enough to include um, all those people who were contributing to the community in some way. Mm-hmm. For sure. Is there a particular project that was um, particularly impactful to you or a favorite? You know, I saw, I saw that question on your list of questions and I'm like, Oh my goodness, how am I going to be able to a hard question? Yeah, I, I can narrow it down to a couple. I mean, one would be any of the projects we've done for YMCAs. Mm-hmm. YMCAs are such an integral part of their community, and people think they're just a place to go work out. But in reality, the YMCAs provide just a huge amount of certain different types of services to the community. So working on any YMCAs has been very um, – I've been very grateful for that opportunity. And then another project – that we did a few years ago was the headquarters, the national headquarters for Global Ministries, which is the um, ministry arm of the United Methodist Church. And this particular organization did work all over the world. And we were able to um, create a design that kind of spoke to all of the different cultures that they work with, trying to do more of an international design, but um, helping them achieve their mission was really impactful for me and just the opportunity to meet so many great folks who had dedicated their lives to that kind of service. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, no, um, I, I think I, I was uh, looking into conscript crews, you know, obviously before this interview and also in general at Georgia tech, we always knew about the firm. And um, one thing that definitely stood out to me was your involvement with the, the YMCA. And I thought that was so great. And, you know, I know it's like a space of childcare. It's a space of recreation. And just like so much goes on there. And like, even now my husband still swims the YMCA and it's like his favorite spot. So yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. so, many, so many people learn to swim. It saves a lot of it lives. Does. Just, just <laughs> it's so yeah. important to a neighborhood. So that's great. Um, and I think it's very integral to a lot of like people growing up too. So that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So Another thing we wanted to touch on is um, you're currently the AA Atlanta president. So what sparked your interest in being involved with that? And what has that experience been like? Um, The experience has been great. I mean, it's been great. Um, It kind of came unexpectedly. Um, uh, A a phone call was made to me asking if I would be interested in running. And, you know, you have to compete. You have to compete for um, for the presidency. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought what a great opportunity it would be for me to one, 
give back to the AIA, I hadn't been hugely involved. I had, I had stayed involved, but not big involvement all these years. I'd had children along the way with my career and had just always been really busy. So it seemed a, not, a, a good time, a nice time to give back to the AIA for all it gave to, to me over the years. And then the second thing was just to stretch myself say, well, this is something that I've never done before. And I didn't know a whole lot about what the demands would be. Um, but I wanted to take on a new challenge. And I have really enjoyed it. I have met so many really great people who are on the board of the AIA, some of the sponsors of the AIA. And I've learned so much about um, others in the profession and kind of behind the scenes of what goes on in the AIA mm-hmm. and everything that they do for the profession. Um, so it's been it's been really gratifying for me um, to do it, um, especially the people part and getting to know all of the really dedicated people who are on the board who work so hard to make sure that the um, continuing education gets done, that the AIA programs get done, that advocacy happens, that there's lobbying down at the state capital for architects. There's just a lot of stuff that goes on that I really knew nothing about. Yeah. You kind of touched on it, but like, yeah, we would love to know what kind of like the responsibilities of an AIA president is like, and, you know, some of the things you're juggling and working on. Yeah. I mean, here, here's kind of the secret of the presidency. It's the committees that do most of the legwork. (laughs) Um, and the president, um, has to do a lot of FaceTime Mm -hmm. with people, has to run all of the board meetings, has to run the executive committee meetings, um, sometimes has their own, uh, I don't mean agenda in a, in a bad way, but a certain agenda that they may want to push. Um, for example, Mm -hmm. I just, um, it was really an idea by somebody else, but I'm starting to push with the AIA to get involved in Atlanta's new zoning ordinance that they're coming out with oh. and to provide kind of a comprehensive uh, slate of possible improvements that really come from the membership of the AIA. So there's kind of a wealth of things that are needed out there. And um, the AIA is a really great pipeline to to make those things happen. I would encourage you all um, to to get involved, you know, at any level that you can and learn more about the organization and everything that it does. And it, again, it's also a great place to to meet people mm-hmm. and um, to find out um, what's going on in the bigger, broader architectural community. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have some, I'm in Philadelphia actually right now and we have an AIA Philadelphia and it's been a little difficult with like COVID and like transitioning the virtual versus in-person stuff again. Yeah. But um, yeah, they throw some really cool events and it's awesome. Yeah. It's I think since we're out of school, it's a good, it's a good way to join something that, you know, is putting you in the community versus like, cause we were in school, we had, you know, a huge group of people working on the same thing and, you know, you could talk to. Um, and now that we're just in the workforce, aside from the firm we work in, we don't really have a lot of other, you know, communities that we can tap into. So yeah, definitely encourage people to get involved in whether that's AIA or any other architecture organizations that are in in Mm -hmm. your city. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. So, um, kind of related to this, um, since you are, in the leadership position at the AIA and you were also in a leadership position at CCCA. Um, as me and Emily enter the workforce, it's really important for us to see women in these positions and um, in firms and in organizations that we're involved with. Um, so we wanted to ask you a couple questions on that topic. One of them is um, if you had a, a, a woman as a role model to look up to when you were going through, um, I guess what we we're going through, in your early career and what does it mean for you to see yourself in that position? Um, I really didn't have a woman in a leadership position to um, mentor me or look up to. And I have to say probably the most impactful female 
um, in my life as it relates to my career in leadership is my mother, who faced a lot of hardship in her life. Um, and she was a single mom and raised four kids and had to support four kids and had to put up with a certain amount of sexism in her life as a business owner during that time period. Um, but she always instilled in us um, that we were capable of anything, that mm-hmm. we could do anything that we put our minds to, and that persistence was important. Persistence is really important. I mean, you can't, the first time that you don't succeed at something, you can't just give up. That persistence is more important than almost any other quality when it comes to success. So that was something that my mother really imbued in me growing up. And I think that had more effect on um, how I approached my career than any other professional or architectural um, role model that I might have had. But uh, at the time, there really weren't a lot of women in leadership positions. Um, I can think of one or two. Um, There was uh, an organization at the time called Women in Architecture. Um, kind of like the equity in architecture now, except it was mm-hmm. it was all women. And um, I can remember going to meetings and being able to communicate and converse with women who were at other firms um, and, you know, find out about how they were handling their careers and um, the strides that they were making. So that, that was good. But in terms of an individual mentor, I, I didn't really have that. But I'd I do have lots of people that, I would, that I'm grateful for. For example, Mike Collins, um, you know, took a chance and hired me um, mm-hmm. way back when. And um, we had been friends, but that's not why he hired me. He thought that I would work hard and do a good job. And he gave me that opportunity and also um, gave me the opportunity to be a partner in the firm. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, I think we're very fortunate now to see specifically women in architecture, you know, role models like in this day and age, but I don't think it needs to be like, as you're mentioning someone specifically in architecture to inspire you and to push you. And I think that was, you know, really beautiful what you said about your mom. And um, I think in the same way that we can draw inspiration from anyone in any industry as well. And it's just inspiring to see other women, you know, working hard and pushing the boundaries. So that's awesome. Yeah, it really is inspiring today to exactly what you said, to see so many women who um, are are internationally known and who are recognized as great architects and not, not just great women architects, mm-hmm. but just great architects. It's very inspiring. Agreed. Yeah. So as a decision maker, in what ways has your perspective contributed to advancing the conversation towards more equitable practice? I think maybe the biggest influence is the fact that I was a female in a leadership position and that folks could see that this was possible. And I'll Mm -hmm. emerge a little bit from your question by also saying that a woman with a family Mm -hmm. could have an architecture career because um, apparently there's some thought out there among young women now that you can't be an architect and have a family. Well, that's a personal choice, whether you want to stay home with um, your children or want to continue work. That's purely what it is, is a personal choice. But I was at um, AIA convention a few years ago, and it was a panel on the studio culture that survives to this day in school where you spend the night at the studio, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. go to all kinds of extremes to get your projects done. And one of the women uh, in the audience uh, who was listening to the panel stood up and basically said that. She said, well, I understand that um, what what I've been told is I can't have a family and have my career at the same time. And I was on the other side of the room just waving my hands and saying, wait, (laughs) wait, no, you can I mean, it, it's kind of a single-minded focus on the two important things in your life. First, of course, your family, you know, and second, your career. And there's not, when your children are young, there's not a lot of time for anything else. But it doesn't mean that you can't do it. 
And I think just mm-hmm. being um, a model of, of um, someone who imperfectly, very imperfectly, um, you know, worked really hard to maintain that balance might be one of the greatest things that I've contributed. Yeah. We love mm-hmm. to, you know, learn more about what that balance looked like for you, you know, raising kids and then being a principal of a firm and, you know, how did, how did that go and how did you achieve that balance? Cause that's a lot. It's like, you know, <laughs> raising kids is no joke. <laughs> and then being a principal is well, a lot of responsibility is, is, too. So it is not, it is not, but I, I had to recognize that, um, that there were some times that I weren't, I wasn't going to be able to stay at work and finish whatever it was I was working on that day that I needed to leave early, for example, because my kid had a soccer game or maybe I was reading to their first grade, to the first grade class, or maybe I needed to rush home and make a paella dish or something for international day at at the school. Um, so you have to recognize that there's going to be some amount of compromise, uh, that you're not going to be able to stay at work late every day. Um, but that sometimes, um, you might not be with your child exactly when you want to be with them too. I mean, I never missed any of their events. Um, Mm -hmm. I never missed participating in their schools. Um, but Obviously, there were times during the day that I wasn't with them and weren't able to see the funny things that they might have said or done during the day. So you just kind of have to accept that you need to make the most with your your kids when you're at home with them and really be with them, mm-hmm. be with them and not be distracted by work or by other things. And the same thing at work. It, you have to kind of have a single minded focus when you're at work on work and be in a position to not have to worry about the kids, like having good childcare is extremely mm-hmm. important right? because you don't want to feel guilty and you don't want to worry about your kids while you're at work. So finding the right mm-hmm. care for your situation is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've, we've talked to a few people that have, you know, an architecture career and had kids. And a lot of them say that they did become extremely productive because when they were at work, they were they were just at work and that was, you know, all they could think about because the second you start thinking about your kid, then it's done. Yeah. So um, I think that's really true. And it's a, probably a really good technique to use when you're in that position where you have to be very productive when you're at work, but you also maybe have to work a few less hours because you have to go take care of your kids. Yeah. And, and when you're with your kids, you don't want to be thinking about right. work. I think it's right. like a two thing. It's like, you don't, you be really present at work, but you also be really present at home too. So just having your full mm-hmm. focus, whatever environment you're in. Uh, and it, it seems um, like simple advice, but it's kind of difficult sometimes. Sounds really yeah. hard. I, we can't even that, do that. Yeah. Just one lot of yeah. To put, put the hours in um, there still is, even though I think we're getting away from that somewhat to a more, uh, a less crazy work-life balance, uh, which is kind of a, not a great term anyway, because it's kind of an up and down thing every day. It's never like you achieve homostasis, you know, every single day. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm glad to see that the profession is moving a little more towards more flexibility um, for everybody in the workforce, obviously not, not just women, but for everybody so that, um, family demands are maybe a little easier to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's important that it's not just the women asking for that flexibility, right? Like if you are splitting the, the childcare with your husband or partner that they are also demanding that from where they work at and, and that you can have a balance of, of both. Yeah, because yeah. you're a team. You know, I was going to mention. I was going to mention one other thing in terms of um, advocating for more equity and diversity in the profession. Um, having leadership in a firm does put you in a position to have more influence in that regard. And like when principals were reviewing salaries uh, overall in the firm and getting ready to make adjustments, I would always make sure I looked at the women's salaries. Um, and uh, made sure that they were equitably equitably compensated, even if they hadn't asked for a bigger raise or whatever, to make sure that um, 
things looked right across the board and that we mm-hmm. always interviewed, made sure that we interviewed women. And we might not have hired those, any particular woman, but made sure that women were on the roster to be interviewed as well. Wow. wow that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. A lot of, I think there's a lot of women that don't uh, negotiate and, and, you know, um, actively, uh, I guess, are aware of, of their salaries and, and what they are valued at. And if, if they're not, if there's not a, a woman in leadership that's taking care of that and, and watching over that carefully, then, then uh, that's an opportunity for, for women to get paid less and, and not have an equitable distribution of that. So you're yeah. exactly right. Sometimes women aren't, uh, prime to be the negotiators that men sometimes are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something that I think we're overcoming, and I know that at Collins Cooper Carusi, um, I worked with um, at least a couple of women who I was really, <laughs> really proud of because they were tough negotiators. And I was, you know, even though it put me in a position of having to make a hard uh, decision about, um, you know, whatever it is they were negotiating for. I was just so proud of them to to see them stand up for themselves and really negotiate, understand what their worth is. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, So I guess also along those lines, are you optimistic about the future of the architecture industry in terms like diversity, in terms of, you know, women and men or, you know, in general diversity? But yeah, what do you think about the future of the industry? (laughs) I'm really optimistic when it comes to female participation just because of what you see in school. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, women may or may not decide to get married, um, have kids and take some time off. Um, But regardless of that, there's just so many great um, architects out there in the world now and so many young women full of promise getting out of school that I'm really optimistic when it comes to other diversity, particularly people of color, I think we need to work harder there. There needs to be more, I think, recruitment at the the high school and the college level, really. Mm-hmm. Like um, the AIA administers a high school design competition every year, which is really a fun, a fun mm-hmm. thing. These high school students are incredible. But really starting at that level to recruit um, diversity at that level is really important so that there's kind of a pipeline um, established before people go off to college. So I think it's a little more challenging in that regard because um, you can already see the results of women entering the architectural field. It's been a little slower with other sources of diversity. For sure. I really like that you mentioned that it really does start early and introducing, you know, high school students and college students to what architecture is because I think a lot of the time it's very unknown and they don't even know it as a career option so I think that's really great that the outreach starts you know earlier middle school high school I think that's really important yeah yeah like you don't have to know an architect (laughs) yeah it's it's not talked about very often unless you you know you have a family member in it or your counselor introduces it to you somehow it needs to become more mainstream I don't know (laughs) You know, you guys, um, if you get a chance, should get involved. If I mean, you're in Philadelphia, Emily, but um, if there are programs with high school students um, and then there's the high school design competition in Atlanta and in Atlanta, there's also Discover Architecture, which is for elementary school kids. The things that these, even the elementary school kids, the things that these kids can do and that they dream up is just <laughs> mind-blowing. Wow. And um, it's so rewarding to be involved in that. So I encourage both of you all to, if you have the opportunity to get involved with mm-hmm. kids at, at any level, because you will be really gratified to see what they're capable of. Yeah. We had a bring your kid to work day event at work one year and we were teaching them, you know, how to build out popsicle sticks and like do some structural stuff. <laughs> and it's so yeah. true. One, a lot of the kids are just drawing floor plans like for fun. They were like, oh, I've seen my parents do this. And like, this is how... This is what my room is, and it was really great. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's really it's fun. fun. Super fun. Mm-hmm. The next generation. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Do you want to ask? Do you want to? I got it. <laughs> um, 
what advice do you have for young women starting in their careers? Um, well, I mentioned knowing your worth um, previously because um, without having these negotiating skills, it's easy to kind of sink into the background and just let things happen to you instead of advocating for yourself. So definitely know your know your worth, but also know that you're replaceable. So there's there's a balance there in being confident and knowing your worth, but not being overconfident um, to the point where you don't think that you're replaceable because um, everybody, I'm, I was replaceable. Obviously there's a new president at Collins Cooper Percy who's doing, who's doing just fine, but know your worth. Um, I would also say um, to be focused Focused on your goals, but not necessarily all of them all at once. Um, we all get excited about our goals and all the things that we want to achieve, but try and uh, prioritize your goals and be kind of laser focused on the goals that are the most important for you at any particular point in time. Um, because it's so easy to get overwhelmed by all of the things that you want to accomplish. And then suddenly you've kind of picked at this and picked at that and you haven't gotten to where you wanted to get with the goals because you haven't focused on the most important ones. Um, and the other thing I would say, um, I made some notes on this. Sorry, I'm looking for these notes. On this particular question, I made some notes. It's a loaded question. Now, <laughs> yeah, I forgot the third one. Hold on, I'll find Okay. Um, oh yeah, I should have remembered. I should have said this one first. Um, to know your why. Um, there's a famous guy who does podcasts and leader casts and all kinds of things. Simon Sinek, who you guys have probably heard of, mm -hmm. really big on know your why. Um, know why you want to achieve uh, what it is, what you're goal setting for. Um, make sure you understand why so that you put yourself on the right path and that you're able to kind of fulfill your goal, um, not just as a conceptual, oh, well, I want to be president of the company. Well, why do you want to be president of the company? Make sure you understand that behind every goal that you have, there needs to be a why that you understand uh, and that you are very um, overt about when you're talking to yourself about those goals. Right. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Yeah. I, I totally relate to the having a narrow focus on the goals because I think after we graduated with COVID and everything, obviously we had all these plans and then everything went up in flames. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then now we're, we're still like early in our careers where we, I guess I'm speaking for myself here, but <laughs> I have all these things that I'm interested in and I would love to do and feels like I could do it all because I have my whole career ahead of me. But um, it really does feel like I, I don't know which one to go with because it's everything seems interesting right now. So um, but I think that knowing the why, why am I interested in all these things and what, you know, what's so important about them that makes me want to chase them, then knowing the reason why, then it, it helps you focus on the ones that matter the most and the ones that are more aligned to what you actually yeah. want to do. Yes. You said that very well. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you, did. you said that better than I did. You did. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so that true. That alignment is so important, your goals and your values, because the why goes back to your values. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially in architecture, I feel like it can get very, like, moments of being super tiring whether it's like licensing like you're like I really have to focus on this and but you I think that why always drives in why it's worth it when you got to make some sacrifices sometimes <laughs> yeah it's so good to hear you guys talk about that um okay so to finish it off um we wanted to do some fun ones um just a couple questions to get to know you a little bit better um, so what is your favorite travel destination? I know you're going to be doing a lot of traveling now. Um, so what's your favorite destination so far? Um, I would say 
probably the most dramatic. Um, and it is hard to pick a favorite, but you know, where I maybe learned the most and had the most diverse experience was South Africa. Um, oh, cool. I've been to South Africa a couple of times and had a great time both times. The trips were really different. One was a trip with the YMCA um, that I kind of tagged along and paid my own way that they were doing what I would call wasn't exactly mission work, but the Atlanta Y was um, entering into some uh, relationships with some of the South African Ys. There are YMCAs in South Africa to see how they could help them expand their programs. So I got kind of an inside view of the country through the YMCA, which was really different than being a tourist. Um, mm-hmm. And the second trip was with my kids, all my kids, and it, it was all tourism, but it was it was great. I mean, we were in the mountains, we were at the beach, we were on safari. It's just a beautiful, beautiful country. Wow. Yeah, I've heard South Africa, you can experience like three vacations at once because there's just so many different types of environments. Like you were saying, the beach or the mountains or safari. And I actually just, uh, one of my friends just went recently and she loved it. So definitely on my bucket list. Oh, good. I would say put it on your bucket list. I mean, it's easy easy to get around. Um, The folks are super, super friendly all across the country, all kinds of different cultures across the country as well. So definitely put it on your bucket list. Will do. <laughs> I want to start traveling again so bad. Don't have to say yeah. it twice. <laughs> yeah. uh, next question: what, uh, Who is your current favorite designer or architect? I would say, kind of long-standing favorite, and not necessarily current, but it is current, but long-standing would be Zaya Hadid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago but I continue to be inspired by her work. I follow the firm on Instagram. So every day I'm getting um, photos of the firm's work, both in the past and the current work that they're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. But I admire her for her persistence and her diligence in a field that was dominated by men, especially the culture that she came from, which was in a rocky. Right. but I love the work. I absolutely love, love, love the work. And the, the only thing I've seen in person are she did um, some transportation terminals in Innsbruck, Austria. And I've seen those in person. But I'm looking forward to, in some of my later travels, seeing more of her work in person. Mm. She just wow. is amazing. She was just amazing. She really is. She's yeah. a crowd favorite. I, <laughs> we all love her, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I just... I yeah, love I also how bold like Jeannie Gay. You all know Jeannie yeah. Gay. Oh, yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I also like her her work as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, like I went into a Zaha Hadid building without knowing. Um, before I studied architecture, we were visiting some friends in Michigan because I lived in Michigan for a little bit, and I think it's a it's a library at Michigan State. Oh, cool. Hmm. I think it's the library, and it was just like totally not like anything else on the campus and I was like oh that's a cool building let's go in there because I was already into architecture and I remember I have pictures there because I was like mom take pictures of me here it's so cool (laughs) (laughs) and it was it's very wild building um but then later I found out I was like that was a Hassan makes sense now yeah 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 she she can her work continues to amaze Mm -hmm. yeah well, lastly, what's your go-to Atlanta spot? So you've lived here for many years. What's your go-to spot, your favorite spot to, to visit in the city? Currently, it's probably the Beltline my, on the east side until they build more of it, and then we'll explore more. But my husband and I actually have a townhome right on the Beltline, and almost every day we go out walking, and we see something oh, wow. new. Well, first of all, there's a lot of construction going on along the Beltline, but we see something new um, every day, whether it's uh, uh, we see sometimes the same people, but we see such a diversity of people who obviously are taking all kinds of different approaches to life. <laughs> and it's so fun to just go walking down the Beltline and see all of the diversity that Atlanta has to offer and also see all of the different buildings that are going up and um, the landscaping that they do. And I'm really excited to see other parts of the Beltline start to be 
completed because it is something that I think has brought Atlanta a lot of um, good attention nationally, maybe even internationally. Um, it's good for exercise. Um, it's good to see the diversity that makes up Atlanta. There's just so many good things about it. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy spending time on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like a catch all. There's, there's so many people that go there. Everybody kind of steps on it at mm-hmm. some point <laughs> yeah. on their weekend. Um, but yeah, we joke that it's like Atlanta's beach because <laughs> it's like yeah, a boardwalk. <laughs> that's, that is a, that is a good analogy. That's a really good analogy. Yeah, it's awesome. Because it's all, all walks of life. Um, mm-hmm. can be found on the belt line, depending on what time of day. We have found that the older people are earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're interested in that demographic, demographic you have to get out early. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes me and Jose will go there for exercise, like we're biking or running or something, yeah. and we can't do that on, in the middle of the day on a Sunday is a bad idea. Because oh, everyone else so is crowded. just yeah. so crowded. walking around Having really slowly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like a four line. <laughs> Can't go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's cer- it's certainly popular, and I'm I'm glad it is. And again, I hope that spurs on further development. And I know it is. It'll just be interesting to see what happens in other parts of the city mm-hmm. when the bell mm-hmm. ones gets connected it's already looking different in different sections right like it has a different feel um in different sections of the city which is awesome oh yeah anything to make more walkability type paths and things like that i think it's so great for atlanta so good okay um before we wrap this up can we take a screenshot (laughs) sure sorry i just like stop (laughs) okay ready smile it's like I should move Got this it. Okay. from the microphone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right. That was all, right. all the questions we had. So thank you so much, Tracy, for taking the time on a Saturday to hang with us and have this amazing conversation. I think our listeners are going to love it. So many good pieces of advice and, you know, words of wisdom. So I hope people took notes. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I was really flattered that you asked me and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You guys are doing an awesome job. I did go and listen to a couple of your other podcasts. You guys are doing a great job and just kudos, kudos to you for keeping, keeping up with it. Cause I know it's hard to keep something like this going when you're so busy with your careers and all the other stuff you have in your life. So Aww. it's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. We're, we're really honored to have you too. <laughs> thank you. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to our interview with Tracy. Um, I learned a lot. I hope you guys learned a lot too. And we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, guys, thanks so much for listening. And as always, follow us on Instagram at Open Plan Podcast. And you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And leave us a nice review if you feel like it. <laughs> We'd appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Catch you next time. Bye.